0: Christmas holds a lot of childhood memories of toys and candy and snow and family and friends. Hopefully you got to experience something fantastic in your childhood that still brings a smile to your face today. I've told you a little bit about the country holler that my family comes from. If you recall, it is the left branch of the Beaver Creek. And actually, there's a little creek that runs into the Beaver Creek that my family lives on. And that's called the Spurlock Creek. And then again, my family lives down a little hollow called Gunstock Hollow. Today I'm going to share a story about Aunt Ruth. She wasn't my real aunt, but everybody up and down the holler called her Aunt Ruth. Even my grandparents, my parents, and even my great-grandparents when they were alive. All referred to Aunt Ruth. Table Needs welcomes you to listen in as Christian and Tracy, co-owners of Restless Coffee, spill the beans on their debut year in the food truck scene, uncover the secrets behind their secret menu, how they continually provide stellar customer service, and why building a strong community following is so important. Click the link in the episode description to watch the video for free. Aunt Ruth had a very tiny three room house, and I do mean tiny. Depending upon where you stood, you could actually have one foot in the kitchen, one foot in the front room, and you could use your hand to touch the bedroom all at the same time. Her house was located on what we called across the creek, and that would be the Spurlock Creek, and it was about half a mile or so down the road from my grandparents' house. We would come up over the railroad tracks, down the railroad tracks, cross the Spurlock Creek. Beyond the road that paralleled Spurlock Creek, and then Aunt Ruth's was half a mile or so down the road. Now, what Aunt Ruth had done was she found that the people that lived up and down the holler, they did a lot of trading. You you grow a garden, you have chickens, you have cows, you have hogs, and you would trade stuff back and forth based on what your family needed. But there's still some things that we just didn't grow or produce in the hauler. For example, flour, or sugar, or salt. So she turned her front room into a makeshift grocery store. She had one shelf down the center. She had couches and chairs all around that shelf. And on that shelf, it contained maybe, and I mean maybe, $100 worth of inventory. And this was, of course, in the 60s and 70s, so $100 was a lot of food, but still very limited choices. Now, I loved going to Aunt Ruth's. Anytime grandma needed something, I would volunteer. Let me go get it. Because it was an adventure. Back before the coal mines came in and they put culverts everywhere, to get to Aunt Roos, we actually had to follow the creek that led into the Spurlock Creek and then follow the Spurlock Creek down to Aunt Roos and then climb up the bank. It was about a 12-foot high bank to get to the road, cross the road, and get to Aunt Roos. Now, of course, I didn't have to do that because I could just jump on the road as soon as we got off the creek coming out of the Gunstock Hollow. But it was a lot more fun to go up and down the creek. So that's what I would do. And I was always the one to volunteer to go to Aunt Ruth's. Now the neat thing about Aunt Ruth is she remembered everybody. But she remembered everyone in a unique way. I was always Billy, Darlene's oldest, and Darlene being my mother. Now my mom only had myself and my sisters, so there are all different kind of ways that she could have remembered me. Darlene's only son, I was the oldest, so she just remembered me as Darlene's oldest. I suspect that was because that's the way she named me when I was born. And then, if mom was going to have any more boys, she had room to have, you know, the second born, third born, and so on. Whenever I'd go to Aunt Ruth's, she always had hard candy out. And everybody that came in always picked up a hard candy or two. My favorite was peppermint, and she always had peppermints there for me. Every time I would come in, Hi, Billy, Darlene's oldest. How are you doing today? And what does Zori need? And Zori would be of course my grandmother's first name. Her name was Zora, but Aunt Ruth and most people up and down the holler put a I-E I-E or a Y at the end of everybody's name, so it was Zori. Typically what my grandmother would get from Aunt Ruth would be flour, sometimes cornmeal, every once in a while some salt. And then Aunt Ruth had a couple of different cans of soups, and that was about all that she ever carried. But she had three snack items. She always carried RC Cola, she always carried barbecue potato chips, and she always carried the basic Hershey's chocolate candy bar. And those just happened to be my favorite things. I love to get a chocolate candy bar and then bag of potato chips and kind of eat those back and forth. I was always into that sweet and salty thing, even at a young age. I used to collect pop bottles, and you guys remember hopefully remember that back in the day sodas came in glass bottles and the glass bottles had a deposit that you put down and when you brought those bottles back to the grocery store they would refund that deposit well a lot of people especially up and down the hallway would drink a soda throw it out the window and i would collect those bottles and all i had to do was collect up about 25 cents worth of bottles and i could get that candy bar and that bag of chips so i did that many many times and i would come into aunt rue's arms laden with bottles and she knew exactly what i wanted and i did that many times one other thing that aunt ruth did that was really neat was every year on christmas eve she would have a a get together she had a barn in the back of her property she had a garden that she grew corn and green beans and all the different kind of vegetables her family originally had animals but they no longer had animals and there was nothing in the barn So what Aunt Ruth would do would have people come over and she would cook a whole bunch of food. And really, it was an all-day kind of feast where on Christmas Eve, she would do breakfast in the morning and then it would transition into kind of a dinner thing in the afternoon. And then by the time it started getting dark, everybody would would head on home for their Christmas Eve at home. The one thing that Aunt Ruth did every Christmas Eve was she would always give every child that was there a toy. Now, remember, we lived in a holler. We were relatively poor folks appalachia in that part of kentucky is still very very poor so what she gave every boy was a balsa wood rubber band driven propeller airplane and those are just the neatest things they're in like three or four pieces you put them together you put the weight on the tip you wind up the propeller and flies just like a real airplane of course it being out of the absolute thinnest balsa wood possible they break quite easily but she gave you one every single christmas and apparently she's been doing this for decades. But it was always the same gift. My sister, on the other hand, she got a paper doll kit where you'd punch out a kind of a kind of cardboard. And it would be the little paper doll. You'd fold the tabs and the little paper doll would stand up. And then there would be different outfits that you would punch out of paper. And then the kids or the girls could play paper dolls. And, of course, the boys would be flying those airplanes just having a great time. But what Aunt Ruth would do is when your family was leaving for the afternoon, she would, of course, had to hug everybody, and then she would pass off the gift and say, Billy, Darlene's oldest, here's your Christmas present. And of course, it was 10 years in a row that Balsa Wood Airplane. I got one every year until I turned 12, and then we stopped going to my grandmother's for Christmas. By that point, my sister had gotten into school, and my mom felt like she didn't need to be at home throughout the day by by herself, so she resumed her duties as a an accountant and worked so she wasn't able to take off and go up to grandma's well when i turned 17 my mom had been promoted and she was working at a bank and she was the head of the, the accounting department which gave her a little bit more flexibility when she could take off she wasn't needed to be there all the time so this one year again when i was 17 she said let's go to grandma's for christmas i was 17 i was a senior in high school there was all kind of stuff that I would much rather be doing than going to my grandparents' house for Christmas. And I certainly didn't want to spend two weeks there. But Mom was like, we got to go, we got to go. And I was dreading it. I was thinking about all the friends that now I can't spend any time with. I was thinking about you know, being able to drive and, and go places. And now I can't because we're going to be stuck in the holler. Now, I was 17 in 1976. If you recall the winter of 1976, you know it snowed. And it snowed a bunch. So, mom tells us on Thursday, Christmas Eve being Friday, Christmas being Saturday, she said, We're going to go to grandma's and we're we'll going to go as soon as I get off work today. It's like, Mom, I don't want to go. I got other stuff to do. And she's like, Nope, you got to go. And she called me by my first and last name, and I knew I was in trouble, so we're going to go to Grandma's. So I got the house ready, got everything cleaned up, got everything packed. Mom comes home, 3 o'clock, gets off work from the bank, and we head off to Grandma's. It was a two-hour drive to Grandma's. And, yes, it was over the river and through the woods. The river being the Big Sandy River, and eastern Kentucky is nothing but woods anyway. So we're driving to Grandma's, and it starts to snow, and it starts to snow a lot. And I was thinking, mom's going to turn around because my mom didn't get her driver's license until she was in her 40s. So she had very little experience driving on icy or snow-laden roads. But she didn't turn around. We headed on to grandma's. And it ended up snowing the entire trip. It was snowing throughout the evening. But as soon as we got to grandma's, and there was at that point about four inches of snow on the ground, grandma said, Billy, I need you to go pick up some cornmeal from aunt ruth and i'm like i have to walk in the snow and like i said it's less than a half a mile but it wasn't an adventure anymore i was 17 years old and playing in the creek was not an adventure anymore there was snow on the ground the coal trucks back then had torn up the dirt roads to the point where they were just two deep ruts it wasn't even fun to walk on the road and with it being covered in snow you couldn't tell where the holes were and where the ruts were it was not going to be a fun trip and i told her i really don't want to go grandma it's snowing and my mom john william you're gonna go pick up cornmeal for your grandmother but yes ma'am so mom has called me by my first and last name now twice in the same day i knew i better go do what she asked so the whole way to aunt Ruth's, i am dreading the walk i'm dreading getting to aunt Ruth because she had a couple of things that she always did One was she would grab my cheek. If you haven't noticed, I have very big dimples. She would grab my cheek and go, Billy, I love your dimples. And then she would tell me some story about someone in our family. So I knew as soon as I got to Aunt Ruth, it was going to be, my cheeks are going to be abused. And then she's going to make me sit and listen to a story about somebody I don't know and probably didn't care about. So I get to Aunt Ruth's, walk up on her porch, and she is sitting in her rocking chair, watching it snow, and it is downright cold. I said, Aunt Ruth, Grandma needs some cornmeal. She goes, you're Billy, Darlene's oldest. And I said, yes, ma'am. Can I get some cornmeal and head back? I'm really, really cold. She stands up, walks over, grabs my cheek, and says, I love your dimples. You and your daddy have such big dimples. And then she gives me a big old bear hug. Come in. Come in and get warm. And I'm going to tell you about. And she commences to tell a story about a relative of mine that she claims I'm named after. My mom has told me many times I'm not named after this particular person. But according to Aunt Ruth, I am. And she then talked for the next 45 minutes. And as soon as she took a deep breath, I I got up and said, I've got to get back. Grandma's making me some cornbread. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm cold. I just want to go back home. And she said, okay, but you'll be here tomorrow, won't you? I said, yes, ma'am, I'll be here tomorrow. So I'll go back. I take the cornmeal with me, head back to grandma's. And she makes me some cornbread, and everything's a little bit better now. I've got the cornbread. She made amazing cornbread. And I'm getting ready to go to bed. The bed that they had me sleep in was in what they referred to as the lower bedroom. And the reason they called it the lower bedroom is because the floor was about six inches lower (laughs) than the whole rest of the house. And that was not by design. That was just how it happened to be built and how the house settled. So that was the lower bedroom. Grandpa, though, right as I was getting ready to go lay down, he asked me if I would help him with the coal shuttles the next morning. And that, to me, meant we're going to go warm up the church, because that's what we always did. I said, but they don't have church on Christmas Eve, Grandpa. And he said, you're right, they don't. But we're going to take some coal to Aunt Ruth's, and then you're going to go ahead and take some coal on down to the church, so we can get ready for the service on Christmas Day. I liked working with Grandpa and the coal. And the fact that he had already collected the coal before it started snowing was a good thing. So all I had to do was just tote those, those two coal shuttles. So I was ready to do it. Get up the next morning about 4 in the morning when Grandma's alarm went off. She makes an awesome breakfast. I am full. I am ready to go. But I'm dreading going to Aunt Ruth's because I know she's going to do the exact same thing. She's going to grab my dimples. She's going to squeeze my cheeks. going to leave a bruise. Then she's going to bear hug me and then tell me a story about somebody I have no clue who they are. So my plan was to go into the barn where she had two coal stoves, fill up those two coal stoves and light them. Get the barn warm and go back home wasn't even gonna let aunt ruth know i was there that was my plan so i walk out and realized that it had not only snowed four inches because that's what it had done before we got there it had kept on snowing throughout the night and there was a good seven to nine inches on the ground now in the holler that we lived in it's surrounded by mountains that's what a holler is mountains everywhere and it gets downright cold so at four in the morning walking out with two coal shuttles it's cold and I'm having to traipse through very deep snow. Head towards Aunt Roos. I'm lugging those two shuttles, thinking about, can't wait to get to the barn, can't wait to get to the barn. And then the light starts to come up over the mountain. It's still snowing, but the sunlight, you know, illuminates things, makes it a little bit brighter. And of course, snow makes it real bright, especially fresh snow. So as I round the curve to get to Aunt Roos, I realize that the roof line is not right back then I was studying architecture and I paid attention to things like roof lines and eaves and all that kind of stuff and the roof line just wasn't right and as I got closer and could actually see better I realized that the reason it wasn't right is because it had collapsed from The amount of snow that fell on it, the living room and the kitchen roofs had both collapsed and fell in. Thankfully, though, the bedroom, I could see the three walls still standing for it. I dropped the two coal shuttles and ran up to Aunt Ruth's house, hoping that she was okay, that she had gotten out. There was no way I could get into her bedroom because everything had collapsed in front of it. So I walk around to the back, and I'm looking inside the window, and I see Aunt Ruth still in bed. And I'm thinking, how could she have slept through this? There's nothing wrong in the room. There's nothing has fallen inside the room. It's just the door still shut. And to look in through the window, you would think there was nothing wrong with the house. So I thought, well, she slept through that, which is probably a good thing. So I tap on the window, and she doesn't stir. I tap on the window some more, she doesn't stir. Now I'm hollering her name. She still doesn't stir. So I get a rock, and I break the window. And I undo the latch, lift up the window, and I climb in. Ruth had passed away. She may not have even known that the roof had collapsed. Maybe the collapse of the roof scared her so much she had a heart attack. I don't know. She was in her 90s. She had lived a really good life. But on the table beside of her bed, there was a line of paper doll kits. And there was another line of balsa wood kits. And the only one that had a name tag that was filled out was one that read, Billy, Darlene's Oldest.